G'day, podcasting friends of the show. Uh, normally, I'd kick off with the traditional clout drive, pushing you to rate and review the podcast to give us more clout so we get higher-profiled guests who look at a low-profile podcast and go, don't have time for them. And I would normally read a review that pumps my tires and boosts my ego a little bit, but I thought I'd mix it up. And I want to read you uh, the one-star review we got. Uh, so far, we've got one. <laughs> Maybe more to come. Rosie Posey 9 says, Listen to an interview with a somewhat controversial Australian chef, <coughs> Pete Evans. <coughs> it was apparent from the beginning that the interviewer, I think that's me, was totally out of his depth and had no capacity to adjust his interview format so as to meet the guest's level. Oh, man. So the guest was above my level and I couldn't adapt. Uh, Rosie Posey 9 says, I cringed the whole way and in the end had to turn it off. It was hollow and atrocious. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> feedback taken. Thanks, Rosie Posey Knight. Um, sorry, sorry you didn't enjoy it, but I really appreciate you taking the time to not only write a review like "This podcast sucks" or "The host is an idiot." Uh, this was a this was in depth and very specific with the critique. Uh, so listen, rev a review's a review. It counts towards the total. I'll take it. And if if you wanna if you wanna pump my ego just a little bit, just pump it up just a little bit after that deflation. Feel free, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you wanna hear what I really think about these guests that we talk to, there is a sideshow that I generally keep hidden from a lot of you, but you're good podcasting friends of the show, so I thought I'd keep reminding you. There is a paywall. I can't say it's worth it, but if you jump it, you will get access to my unfiltered opinions. And as I generally wrestle with how to make this show, how do I keep it not being an echo chamber? How do I include different opinions? How do I attract people with a diversity of ideas to share on the show? Uh, if you're interested in that, you can follow the links from the Instagram to the subscription and you will get videos and a hidden podcast there. If you want to stay in touch, always send us a DM, idisdigest at gmail.com. So enjoy the episode. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people. Categorizing of humans and ideas. You have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being. To who they really are. And in the marketplace of ideas. These things are complicated, man. We all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints. A genuine multicultural connection with another. I mean, sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree. You just need to sit with it and digest. G'day, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the podcast where we explore the ideas that divide us in order to see the humanity that connects us. My name's Conrad, and if you're new to the show, welcome. If you're joining us live on Instagram, you can... Send in some questions as we talk. Welcome. Welcome to the show. But I must warn you new friends of the show that this podcast, this podcast is not for everyone. Each week, you'll come across a completely new idea, hopefully, that maybe you completely agree with, you're inspired by, or maybe it challenges you, maybe it repulses you, maybe it's an idea you completely disagree with. Now, if you're listening one week and you go, oh, this is a great episode, I love this, I'm going to share it with all my friends, and then the next week, it's the exact opposite, you completely disagree, it's a horrible thing, and you go, what the hell is this? And you're about to unfollow, and you go, this must be a bug in the system, 
I assure you, it is not a bug in the system. It's actually a feature of the show. You'll get episodes you will enjoy less, but I guess that's the point because we enjoy things less if we don't agree with them. So in Ideas Digest, we're going to explore the ideas that challenge us and often divide us, uh, like I said at the top of the show, in order to connect with different versions and different iterations of humanity. So if you're up for it, if you're up for it, um, I think it'll take some practice and some time, but I think you'll end up enjoying it. If not, it's not for you. That's okay. With that, with the disclaimer out of the way, let me introduce new friend of the show, brand new friend of the show, Sindra Banks from my hometown, Newcastle. Sindra, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. And can I just say that in the current climate, having a place to bring up ideas that not everyone necessarily agrees with and not everyone necessarily is on board with and opening up a conversation where people can have their say openly. It's so, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Uh, Yeah, I'll just put the little A on it. Yeah, it's so fucking important right now to have a discourse. So I just want to thank you for making this conversation like a thing that's so important right now. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks. Um, yeah, very great start to the show. Flatter the host. I'm in. This is this is going to be great. Well, it, I'm, I'm glad to have people who are open and honest um, to explore questions because when I get uh, reach out to new guests and pull people on the show, uh, sometimes um, there are certain worldviews that can interpret my curiosity and my challenging as hostility. Um, And so if you're listening to the episodes, my aim is never to be hostile, but I do try and push because I want to stretch the idea. I want to see where it goes. I want to see where it works, where it doesn't. So Sindra, thanks for, thanks for coming on the show and being open, vulnerable and honest with me and our guests. Very welcome. (laughs) Uh, So with the compliments out of the way, we got to get to a a bit of dirty work, I think. Uh, (laughs) But before we do, Sindra, can you just introduce yourself? Just like some top line cocktail party information. Just like we meet at a cocktail party. Oh, Sindra, my name's Conrad. Oh, it's really nice to meet you. Oh, so who are you? What do you do with yourself? Take it away. Yes. Uh, Hello, my name is Sindra. I am a sex and relationships coach. So right now, if you're watching on Instagram, I'm on my business page. So Conscious Couples is our business uh, name. I work alongside my husband and we also have a podcast called The Relationships Show. And then personally, I run embodiment events in Newcastle. So embodied dance and immersions for women to kind of come home to themselves and their bodies. I run women's circles with Jasmine, who you've also had on this podcast. And I also am a speaker about all things Generally taboo topics like we're talking about today. <laughs> like sex, yes. <laughs> yes, sex and pleasure RM. <laughs> Let's jump to the clickbait because I think that's going to be a good start. You clicked it. This Generally, episodes on Ideas Digest about sex do very well. So looking at the analytics, we double down. We go, all right, people want to hear about it. Let's Let's talk about it. And let's start with the clickbait, which you've already seen. You've clicked. The clickbait is... I am in a non-monogamous marriage. Now, people might be thinking, hang on, what? Non-monogamous and marriage? Did they go together? Well, we're going we're gonna to find out. But before we do that, Sandra, we've just met. Uh, 
I might have a few assumptions about you because you're from Newcastle. I'm from Newcastle. But I would like to confess some of the assumptions that maybe I have and some of the friends of the show just listening on Instagram. If you have some assumptions on Instagram, shoot them through. When we just meet people, we always make assumptions, but then we run away and we go, hey, did you hear about Syndra? Oh, yeah, I heard this. That's what we normally do. We're going to just we're gonna do the same thing, Syndra, but we're just going to come to you and tell them. And then you get to say, oh, not quite. Or, yeah, that one's actually valid. How does that sound? Absolutely. Go for it. Okay. Well, let's start with the easy one. I'll, I'll do a slow ball for you to... to to get warmed up. You're from Newcastle. I'm from Newcastle. I surf. You must surf. Uh, I have a surfboard. Well, we'll give it a pass. We'll give it a pass. It's, you're an aspirational surfer. Uh, I'll, I'll allow it. And I'm sure one of your friends who likes to surf is enjoying that surfboard that you don't use very often. It's in my garage. So easy one out of the way. Uh, looking at your profile, your work, uh, you know, the yoga mat behind you in your studio that I can see, uh, you got to be some level of like new age woo. (laughs) Like you own more, like a crystal or two. Nailed it. She's holding up a pink (laughs) rosemary crystal. Giant pink quartz. Can I also say though, on my desk, I also have a purple ceramic dildo. So like, Oh, I kind Let's of have like all the crystals on my desk. <laughs> uh, okay. Yes, 100%. I have crystals everywhere in my home. I've got oil diffusers in every room. I've got some sage and Palo Santo chilling at my front table. And I am also covered in tattoos, piercings, and swear a lot. So I feel like okay. I'm a good mix of like woo and you know, other. <laughs> other. It's a very <laughs> Australian brand of new age woo. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, yeah. That's a, a hard yes. All right. So then new age woo, uh, yes. depending on your definition of quote religious, you, you're obviously not like typically religious or Christian type person. No, I'm not. No. Right. Two from two. <laughs> who says who says judging doesn't pay off? All right, here's here's the next one. Uh, looking at tattoos, piercings, talking openly about sex, you've got to be one of these angry feminists we hear about. <laughs> uh, no. No. Okay. All right. Would you would you revise that at all? Would you be like, okay, feminist, like grumpy feminist? It depends on your definition of feminism. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. I, I am trying to educate myself a little bit more and deepen my uh, definition and understanding of feminism. <clears throat> uh, I'm reading a really great book at the moment called Hood Feminism, which is all about issues that are affecting um, women of colour and it goes a lot deeper than I think what like we as like a privileged white women perceive as feminism so i would say i am learning and i'm trying to expand my mm. my my version my vision of feminism i do get angry about things a hundred percent i do go on little rants so i would say i'm on a, i'm on a journey with with feeling into what feminism is for me 
Mm, okay, a um, a student of feminism, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. Okay, we're talking about sex. We're talking about to quite typically taboo topics, uh, especially in the religious world. Uh, you might get this leveled, um, and we'll find out more about your background soon. But um, for many people, uh, listeners of the show that might have grown up Christian, they'll know very well what this kind of <clears throat> judgment might have been, might be, will be that I'm throwing at you now. Sindra, you've got to be like a moral relativist. There is no absolute truth. Like morality is just determined by the individual and morality for you is morality for you and then morality for somebody else. You've got to be like a moral relativist. Go into more details about what that could be. Generally, the discussion would, would be around there's that's in the opposite to the absolute truth. Like there's an absolute mm-hmm. truth that we can know and we can all tap into. There's one standard of morality and right. religious people would go, that's outlined in the Bible. And this is the standard, like murder is always wrong. Uh, okay. And this is how morality looks. And then a moral relativist would be like, well, morality is just really a societal social construction. So the only reason we don't rate people is because it's like a pretty frowned upon practice in our modern society. Um, and so therefore, you know, if, if I think it's moral and I'm okay to do it, then I, I think it is moral. And if society kind of determines that and so do I, rather than there's this external measurement of truth. Oh, I mean, when you, I mean, not for, not for some things. I feel like for okay. a lot of things, yeah. I feel yeah. like for a lot of things, I would be a moral rel- relativist, uh, yeah. but some things are like still a hard no, like what you spoke yeah, about. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and <laughs> I definitely probably should have Googled a better definition of it. Um, <laughs> it's generally a label just kind of thrown thrown around. It's like you don't believe in absolute truth. It's like it's all relative. Uh, so sorry to you theologians and philosophers out there as I butcher various different worldviews and trying to box somebody else. Uh all right. So I, I think, you know, you're like, well, not really. I think there is like some standard, some objective standard that we can measure things by. Uh, and all right. Last one. Uh, I'm just looking at you, guessing your age. I'm going to go with you're a millennial. So you must be like a hedonistic, selfish millennial. That's just pursuing <laughs> what you want in life. Well, I'm 36. Uh, so that's I don't know if that yeah? makes, I don't oh, know. I I was you're on the border. I don't know. <laughs> I think, yeah, you might be like on the border between, what is it, X and millennial. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so I would say I'm hedonistic in the way that I do prioritize my own pleasure. And I think that's really important. And I I support and help other women to do that. Um, I would say I'm a little bit selfish in the fact that I do put myself first. And I think that more women need to be putting themselves first. More humans probably need to be putting themselves first. And I'm also a Leo, so I tend to tend to just be a little bit sometimes about me. And people around me know that. And that's in, in the light, that quality is really, really great. In the shadow, that quality isn't so good. And I've had to work on that over the years. Um, you know, the shadow of being putting yourself first can be selfish. And I've had to find a balance between mm-hmm. between those. 
Mm, uh, yeah, that's a really good distinction between those reductionistic labels, don't you? And I really like working no. in the Leo portion because there's New Age Woo. You really proved that first assumption by dropping a star <laughs> sign. Uh, I could probably only name three star signs. So, yeah, all the New Age listeners, or however that would be defined, they're like, yes, Leo, bloody understand who you are. They'll be like, I knew she was a Leo. <laughs> that's it that's exactly what they say you're totally aries i was getting aries vibes but then towards the end i was like no nah, no nah, totally leo okay yep. uh all right well let's go to the clickbait then yeah uh the clickbait back to that i am in a non-monogamous marriage Cindra, mm-hmm. i kind of want to hand this over to you because that's the clickbait i saw like you know some that i think was taken directly from one of your posts yeah um start where you kind of want to start that might be in what you do for work, you were talking about, you know, you teach embodiment, how these things might be linked. Where would you want to begin with this kind of clickbait idea? I think I want to begin with why why I even got married if I'm in a non-monogam- non-monogamous relationship because a lot of people ask us that. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. So we got married. So this is not my first marriage. This is my second marriage um, and same as my partner's. So we got married because we wanted to do it differently and we wanted to, I guess, not show, but we wanted to be an example for other people that marriage can look different for different people. It doesn't have to be this marriage, kids, house, stay together forever or whatever it may be. And we get to create the kind of marriage that we want to create. And for us, that looks like non-monogamy. And we're also open to like maybe one day we decide that we want to be monogamous and and we're very open to being flexible and fluid because what I've learned from previous relationships and life experiences is that life is fluid. And for me, if I halt that fluidity in my relationship then I feel kind of a little bit stuck and a little bit trapped and uh, it just doesn't really quite work out for me. So we were pretty much non-monogamous from the beginning of our relationship. And when I brought that idea to the table, uh, Luke, my partner, was really freaked out. (laughs) I think I said to him like, what um what's your opinion of monogamy what what's your view and he was like it's great it's really great yeah yeah only way to go only way to go yeah yeah he's like what do you mean what, what's my opinion of course that's the only thing that there is and <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then I started opening up to the conversation to well what if there was another way to do things differently and you know how has monogamy worked for you in the past and we started to talk about how it maybe hadn't been so good for us in the past and what kind of relationship that we wanted to create together instead of going in unconsciously, like, well, it's just a relationship. Like we just do the things. It's like, how can we create this space that's growing and expanding and challenging as well? So yeah, that's kind of how we got here. Yeah, so a good question shot through on the Instagram live by Joma underscore design. What is the difference 
between non-monogamy and polyamory or yeah. uh, is there any other like slight differences? Yeah, great question. So for us, we're in, we're in an open relationship at the moment, not a, not a polyamorous relationship. So polyamory just means more than one relationship. So say, for example, we had our primary relationship, which would be our marriage, like Luke and I, and then just say, like, I, well, with both of us identify as queer, sexually fluid. So just say I had also had a girlfriend and Luke had a boyfriend. So that would be polyamory. We'd actually have um, other relationships, like secondary relationships with other humans. um, And we'd be seeing them as like, you know, like a a romantic relationship. We don't really have time for um, any other partners right now. So ours is a bit more open in the way like we date and we, um, you know, see other people and we're not looking for other relationships right now. Non-monogamy is you can you'll you'll you can go on dates and hook up with other people, but you're not in sustained, consistent, multiple relationships. Is that is that right? So is that would it turn from non-monogamy or an open relationship to polyamory if you were dating someone you're like, oh, I really like this person, would then that conversation be, uh, we were open and non-monogamous and now i'm going hey how do you feel if uh my girlfriend comes into the picture is that yes absolutely yeah Yeah. yes so i'm open to the fact that one day we might be polyamorous uh and it's not really on the agenda right now for us anyway it's just we have a lot on our plates with running a business and luke's got um, to kids and, you know, all, all the life things. So, yeah, it's not really on our plate right now to, to make space for other partners. So for us, the open mm-hmm. relationship works really well right now. What I'm hearing just in a, your brief description of your journey in your relationship is that you were saying when you're looking at life and relationship, you're seeing it the tendency of people to grow and change and be different as, you know, I'm a different person to who I was 10 years ago. And it sounds as if when you're talking about monogamy, it's like that's like a static portion of a relationship that says me and this person will be in this type of relationship in the same way forever. And it sounds like when you said people grow and change and you kind of want to bring that into into the relationship as well. It's like you want to keep that openness to growth and change within something that often is static like marriage. Does that sound a little bit like what you're talking about? Yeah, definitely. I think so when I got divorced, uh, I got like the words untamed and unbound like tattooed on my um, on my like wrist. And that was like a mantra for me. Like I just didn't want to ever feel in my life like I was, um, I don't want to say held down because I don't think relationships and marriage like should be held down, but I didn't want to feel like I kind of was just stuck in this thing. Uh, So I knew that a traditional marriage wasn't going to work for me. I actually didn't think I'd get married again anyway 
so I think having this open and it has to be the right person, you know, like Luke is very open. We have very good communication and we both wanted the same things out of this relationship because we both kind of came from divorces and we were ready to try things differently. So yeah, it's for me, it's just having this growing, changing, like ability to see other people, you know, meet other people and not have that jealousy, not, well, we actually, that's a lie. I do still get jealous. Uh, and it's okay to work through that. Like I can see someone and be like, fuck, that person's really hot and not have the wrath of the partner going, how dare you look at someone else, blah, 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 blah. You know, like it's mm-hmm. just having that, having that capacity to just be a human. <clears throat> like as humans, we're attracted to other people. Like that's, that is like our human nature. Like we are attracted to more than one person. Mm-hmm. So for me, being able to explore that and play with that and also being like I was with with women exclusively for like almost 10 years. So I need in my relationships the ability to be with other people that aren't maybe the same um, sorry, that aren't like a different gender, not that it comes down to gender really, but I love the feminine experience. So for me, being just with a cis male, that's really like for me because that kind of cuts out all the beautiful feminine experiences that I could be having as well. So that was a big part of it for me. Talk to me about your journey i i guess that shaped you into this worldview because you're saying with your current partner you went into it going okay relationship for me the idea of one man um is is stifling and it doesn't it doesn't sit with me talk to me about maybe the journey that you had in your previous relationship and what and what i guess maybe happened in that um maybe and and if you can include your upbringing and then i guess into your relationship what are the things that kind of shaped this current perspective you have now that's led you to go, yeah, okay, marriage, but not monogamous marriage? Mm. I've always been a bit of a disruptor. Um, I've always felt like mm, I didn't really identify with like the status quo. Like I always felt like there must be something more than like, I haven't felt the pull to have a child and I'm 36. Like I, I, I never wanted to have that traditional house, kids, dog kind of scenario. I traveled. I, did um, you come from that background? Like were your parents like in a traditional relationship or no? I came from a very traditional home. My, my parents were both um, like teacher, policemen. We had a dog my sister and I, like, it was very just normal. Like, it was just a normal, you know, normal house. Like, normal. I say this, that in inverted commas, like a normal house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone thinks they're normal, Sidra. <laughs> they're normal. It's like, not, what is normal anyway? Uh, so, but all my life I was always, like, wanting to do acting and I wanted to do this and I wanted to travel and I wanted to get a tattoo yeah. and I wanted to kind of do, do these, cut my hair short. And I was always kind of looking for ways, like, oh, this 
doesn't quite fit. Like I don't quite fit in this space. So mm-hmm. I guess from a really young age, I I was always trying to do things my way, um, and which doesn't always work. And in how how was that received? Yeah, like how was that received in your upbringing when you're kind of pushing the boundaries? Were your family was your family like receptive to it? They were like, Sandra, just keep your hair long. Come on, be a normal girl. Yeah, I think they wanted me to be a bit normal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, they they, you know, they wanted me to be safe. Like they wanted to keep me safe. So, like most parents. So, you know, when I did make myself look different, cut off my hair, got my nose pierced, like when I came out, it was like, well, this is not really what we had in mind and how are you going to keep yourself safe? Like you're making yourself so outer like so other than like how are you going to keep yourself safe and we can't protect you in that you know we don't really know why you're doing that because you've had such a you know normal upbringing and why are you doing this uh so yeah I think for me it was a real I wanted to move out really really young like I wanted to just go as far away as possible and just do my own thing very independent like that so I think I was always kind of looking for ways to disrupt the system. And funnily enough, my first serious relationship um, was with a cis male and um, we both weren't faithful in that relationship. It was a five-year on and off relationship. And the funniest thing is I caught up with this person uh, maybe two years ago and we we're having a, a drink and catching up on old times and they're also non-monogamous. And we were like, imagine if we both kind of were in this understanding back then, like, you know, in our early 20s, our relationship would have been so much different, so much less hurt and pain. We would have just been understanding, like, on the same path. So that was pretty interesting. Um, what? Could you uh, describe, did you grow up religious or what? how would you describe the, I guess, the worldview you grew up with? Hmm. Because uh, uh, let's say a, a religious worldview, you'd, you'd have your, your rituals, you have like a universe where there's a God and morality is determined in this way. You've got a set of prescribed right ways of living and then you know when you go to church you learn the ways of going all right this is moral this is immoral i i guess the question of the worldview you grew up in how i guess were you taught this is moral this is not moral this is this is how the world works this is with or like because that could be implicit or explicit was there anything deliberately taught or what what was the kind of worldview you were handed up in? Like just very secular, no talk of a God or religion or anything like that. Mm, yeah. Like we kind of dipped, dipped into a little bit of religious stuff, but not really like my, one of my grandmas was quite religious and we kind of dipped into that for a, a little bit, but not really. I think my parents wanted my sister and I to really excel and uh, really just, be the best like they wanted us to to get really good marks to go and get an amazing job to make some money and to kind of really make something of our lives and follow that generic pattern like go to uni get the amazing job like fucking kill it in your career 
get the get the husband that makes a lot of money and then like just you know and actually neither of us ended up really doing that path you know in the way that they probably wanted us to so the conventional the conventional path maybe yeah yeah definitely so for me I was always about like fucking up the conventional path so like I went and studied journalism like I wanted to be on tv and then I went traveling because I was like ah stuff uni and then I tried to kind of make an acting career in Sydney and yeah so I've always been a bit like nah don't really want to do that path because I want to find out well what's the other path Mm -hmm. you know I find it interesting contrasting your upbringing and your journey with some of the other people I've I've spoken to you know we we I've spoken to a few other women on uh, purity culture and growing up within a religious context and what and what that generally has is this layer of morality on top of mm. sexuality it has this mm. uh, sex is prescribed in this way in marriage with these monogamous way and when it comes to sex there's a moral dimen- moral dimension and mm. uh, we've we've spoken to some uh, LGBTQ uh, community people on this show and they just and if they growing up religious they describe this coming out is not received well in that community because there's that moral layer it's like well being gay is immoral and it's an immoral way to have a relationship and all those types of things it doesn't sound like you grew up with that moral dimension that was like oh did you just have sex with your boyfriend in high school or something that would be like a heinously immoral thing to do within the christian Mm. community but for you it doesn't sound like that was ever kind of a part of the sexual dimension no no not really um although when i came out that wasn't well received so (laughs) interesting what like I I don't why do you think that that might have been because I think the stereotype within a Christian community is like obviously it's not well received you know that people use various texts in the Bible to say well see God says this is not the way it is yeah. uh, t- like talk to me about I guess your journey of of coming out as how would you identify now would you say you're bi or gay or um, I say pan queer. like pansexual yeah. or queer yeah. or act- I actually mostly use sexually fluid. Because uh-huh. I just I just like that. Uh, yeah. So I'm attracted to any human. Um, my previous marriage was with a woman. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've kind of just, um, yeah, I'm very fluid in that respect. I don't kind of go, oh, you're a, you're a cis male or, oh, you're a cis female or, okay. oh, you're whatever. You know, I just kind of see people okay. and am attracted to people. People, male or female, are attractive to you and you go, it's not a... Yeah. Or like, non-binary or otherwise, you know, like I'm, I'm right. yeah, okay. open to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So coming out, it's actually like very emotional, <laughs> very emotional for me. Um, yeah, I, I think it just, again, comes back to that not following the linear path. And probably for my family, that wasn't in the plan. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they thought it was a phase. Like a lot of my things might have been at the time, like, oh, I like this. Now I don't, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And I just think they just didn't want to understand it. And they didn't like how it looked to other people. Mm-hmm. And they're also worried about my safety as mm-hmm. a 
you know, being in a uh, female-female relationship, like how was I going to protect myself? And, you know, that this was, when I came out, this was like, you know, 12, 13 years ago. So we we did get shit yelled out while we were walking down the street. Like people did stare wow. at us at, at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was still, it was still a little bit, um, well, it still isn't that safe to be honest, but um, I even was yeah. on a date the other night and people yelled shit out of the car. Like it's 2021, like seriously. Anyway. Right. Um. Yeah. 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 Right. So I think, yeah, it just kind of didn't go with their idea of what I was going to do in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting, it, it, I'm glad you, you, you shared that, um, with us because I think from uh, when you fit the norm in society, we, when you look at the narrative of media and TV, you get the idea that, yeah, it's 2021. We've all moved on. Um, marriage is legal now, you know, male, male, female, female, like this is an, a quote unquote accepted norm with society. Yeah. But then to hear, I guess your experience last week where that's where you still are encountering some level of discrimination. And I guess it sounds like you're describing like this because you've mentioned safety a few times being like, if I show up in the world this way, not only are my parents worried for my safety, but you're also having experiences that feel unsafe. Like if you're walking down and someone's yelling, it's quite a confronting, like abusive thing to happen. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like my experience of being with women in public is that people look uh-huh. like it's... Double uh, take. Are they, are they holding hands? <laughs> just, absolutely. Yeah. And that's just, that, that's just how it is, you know? Like mm-hmm. I walk around with my husband, like no one blinks an eye at yeah. us in public at all. And with women, there there is people that look. And especially because my previous partner was... Um, well, a lot more heavily tattooed than I am and people would look like double, Mm. double take or stare or whatever it may be. So, Mm. I mean, in, in some parts of the world, especially in Newcastle, to be honest, like it's not that um, open here. Describe Newcastle for our uh, international American (laughs) listeners, Newcastle, nice beach coastal town, uh, north of Sydney. Tell us a bit, a little bit about the Newcastle context. Bogan might come to mind. Yeah, I feel it's a little conservative um, and there are there are amazing things that are happening and it's we're a bit slow. We're a little bit slow to catch on to acceptance and to be honest, like there isn't a lot of diversity here. There's a lot of white, middle class, like heterosexual people that live here. Tradies, Lots of families, miners, tradies, yeah. like lots of young families, lots of like retirees and stuff. So it is a little bit, a little bit behind maybe in, um, in some, in some respects. Yeah. I remember being in, um, you know, LA or Sydney, Melbourne with my, with my previous like female partners and no one would, no one would look at all. They'd be like smiling and, you know, welcoming and normal. So yeah, in comparison, it's definitely a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, the the correlation I, I guess I'm hearing and drawing is that the a religious worldview gets a heavy critique and may like maybe fair, maybe unfair of d- 
determining what a societal norm is so or a religious norm if you're in a religious community you've got this set of norms and if you don't fit that set of norms like well you know do you belong here and some people might kick him out or force you to conform in certain ways uh, within a religious community and then the secular world outside of a religious worldview uh would kind of get this oh no, it's like open, it's accepting, it's, it wouldn't be any of those things that religion has. That's a backwards kind of way of viewing the world. But what I'm hearing is that, that there's still this accepted standards of norm, accepted standards of behavior that operates societal-wide without a religious structure, without people pointing to, ah, but this Bible verse says this, it, but it's still there and no one's openly pointing to, oh no, the Bible says you can't do this, but it's you can still see the societal standards and norms and how that can impact someone like yourself that doesn't quite fit that. Absolutely. And I think it's getting better. If I speak to, I've got some really amazing friends that are like 15 years younger than me. And I talk to them about my relationship, dating, being on Tinder, like all that. And they're just like, yeah, cool what whatever like they're they're just so like open and accepting and they wouldn't even blink an eye wouldn't even blink an eye and then you have other people who are maybe like a little bit older who are kind of maybe have been brought up in a more conservative environment and they are still closed off to the ideas so I think it's I think it is shifting and I think we still have a long, long, long way to go. Mm-hmm. And conservative in the way you're using it is like traditional, you know. It's yes, the- traditional family values, you know, traditional relationships, yep. traditional way of perceiving, you know, gender, traditional way of perceiving sexuality. You know, a lot of people don't wouldn't even yep. know what pansexual means. It's like straight or gay. You know, it wouldn't yep. even be anything else. Yep. So Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Which which seems to be determined just by a societal norm. It's like a, the consensus of what uh, a statistical majority of the population are and represent and, and operate within. And, and then that becomes the, the quote-unquote conservative that you experience being pushed up against when you're in a place like Newcastle, not representing that norm. You feel stood out and you feel in some circumstances unsafe. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, the place that I am now, I'm pretty confident in myself and and where I am and I'm, I'm kind of prepared to own it, hence like coming on this podcast and doing posts about being non-monogamous. And it's taken me a long time to get here. And I think it's we've got a long way to go. Like you look at media, you know, how often do you see a even a, a queer relationship? Like how often do you see that portrayed in movies like not that often or in magazines or on tv like sometimes I have like the token kind of queer relationship but they don't really go into details and I think we're we're still not shown that there's another way to be like relationships like Mm -hmm. very rarely ever shown a non-monogamous relationship on and if they do it's like they cheated and they did this and it's like horrific and it that's right destroys the world it's a moral so, dimension of it yeah talk to me then about your first 
relationship and marriage that are like I guess what what combination of factors have shaped this worldview now I'm getting I'm getting the sense that as you've grown up and, and explored these ideas and, and tried to work out how relationship works for you how it looks to you someone who who doesn't want to really who wants to always maintain that sense of like independence and and freedom within and the ability to grow and change in all dimensions and bringing that to the relationship side Mm. what I guess happened in your journey for you to discover that I guess marriage on some dimension is for you because Mm. you are married again now but then this non-monogamous or open dimension of it what led you to to that idea I totally lost myself in my previous marriage which 100% is my mine to own and was mine is mine to work was mine to work through uh our relationship was very codependent which again we're only shown codependent relationships in every possible platform and in songs listen to any song lyrics and it's like you're mine forever and like never leave me and like you're the only one for me like it's so codependent uh so I definitely had fallen into that trap I put a lot of responsibility for my happiness onto my partner I had a lot of mental health um stuff that I was trying to work through alongside our relationship and I really allowed myself to get lost um and that that breakup was like very traumatic for me and it took me a really long time to work through that and to be able to come back to myself and really accept myself and and be kind of okay at at being like a divorcee at 30 whatever 33 uh so I knew that I didn't want to do that again like I didn't want to be in a codependent relationship yeah when you say you lost yourself in codependent uh it's a term used a lot and if I'm honest, I'm always like, oh, flip, what, what's codependent again? Can yeah. you give like an example of like, codepe- yeah. like a codependent relationship? You gave some yeah. song examples. What does it mean when you say like you lost yourself in a codependent relationship? Codependency is like saying that your partner is the only one. So your partner is your best friend, your therapist, your domestic help, your, um, you know, fuck buddy, your everything. So every single thing that you go to, you go to your partner for it. And it, it sometimes in codependent relationships, you can also place responsibility for your feelings, for your happiness on your partner. That old saying of like, I just want to make you happy, babe. That's actually not their responsibility. That's your responsibility. Like, yes, your relationship needs to bring happiness and joy but ultimately it's up to us to create our own happiness and it's up to us to create our own joy and it's up to us to move through our own feelings. It's not our partners. So codependency can lead to this need, like I need you, I need you. And that puts a whole lot of pressure on not only your relationship, but also each other as people like, I need you. Well, actually, I don't need you. I, I'm a full 100% person. 
And I like to explain it as like being interdependent, which is the opposite or the flip side to codependency, is being 100% you and your partner is 100% them and you come together and the relationship is 200%. Codependency is more like 50% me, 50% you and together we're making 100%. So I'm kind of sacrificing some of myself, you're sacrificing some of yourself and we're, we're trying to come together and make this whole thing. Whereas interdependency is like all of me, all of you, we're a team and also I'm fucking killing it over here in my own little 100% or I'm not killing it and I'm taking responsibility for that, not putting that on you. Mm. Co- codependency, codependency would have that dimension of like if your partner's upset you're upset going, what did I yes. do? Oh, I need to fix this. They're yes. like, I, I'm responsible for, for them being upset. So yes. I need to kind of change that. Right. right. Yes. And you were saying you were yeah. quite, you were, that, that's your experience in this, in this first relationship. Yeah. And it led you to never want to kind of be in that type of relationship again. Yeah, absolutely. To be honest, like all of my relationships previously had been codependent. Do you think this, I guess the question is, do you think this dimension of monogamous marriage structure, the stereo, like the stereotype of a relationship now, do you think that is codependent and do you think it's codependent because of the monogamous aspect of it? Yes and no. Mm -hmm. I think the monogamous aspect can lead to codependency because you are putting that you are kind of relying on that person for a lot of things and there's a beautiful way to do that interdependently as well you know like monogamy and interdependency could look like allowing yourself to also have time for self-pleasure and things like that outside of your sexual relationship together. So I think there are ways that you can do it. And there are people that I see in beautiful monogamous interdependent relationships working on their shit and doing, doing the things. And I think you look at any, any kind of modeling of monogamy and what you see is codependency all the time. So it's hard because it's like this whole new paradigm. As, as I'm hearing you unpack and contrasting a codependent relationship with like these elements of sexual monogamy, do you think that on some level, because you're talking about like self-pleasure, do you think on some level a monogamous sexual relationship places the, uh, what's the word? The sexual fulfillment onto the other person being like, if I'm not sexually satisfied, that's your fault. And would you call that a codependent sexual relationship where it's like, I'm not fulfilled and that's because we're not having enough sex and that's up. That's your fault. So please fix that so I can feel better. And you would call that codependent. Yeah. Yes. And I think that happens a lot, especially with women 
like cis females who don't feel like they can ask for their needs to be met. They don't feel like they can say, actually, babe, that's not really working for me. Let's try this X, Y, Z. Because we generally feel shame and guilt around asking for what we want in the bedroom. So that can actually look like a lot of the time women just being like, well, I'm just going to wait for you to like try and pleasure me and not, you know, not taking responsibility. Again, it's not taught. It's not shown. We're out here on our own, like trying to figure it out. And I think, yeah, for if you are in a heterosexual relationship, Definitely, it can become very easily codependent sexually for both, you know, cis males and cis females. Definitely. I want to kind of go back to the top and Mm -hmm. just go into the curiosity of people listening going, okay, what does a non-monogamous relationship look like? Like the nuts and bolts of this potential alternative that's like, all right, it's it's not not codependent. Um, There's the option of an being a being able to have sex with somebody else outside of this primary relationship what how does that work like i'm always just thinking like you just like walk up uh, like are people like oh yeah like you i just go on dates and okay I, I get home to my wife i'm like yeah like brooke i was just swiping tinder saw some saw some girls i just went on a date with her it was really good uh yeah. she was an engineer funnily enough and like how does it how does it work i guess the nuts and bolts of it Yeah, for sure. So I just want to say a disclaimer that like our relationship might be different to other people's open relationships. This is just what works for us, et cetera. Uh, It's not a placeholder for all non-monogamous relationships, right? We believe that to have an open relationship that's successful and sustainable, it's based on communication, like every relationship needs to be. Uh, So we are very, very, very open about what happens about boundaries, about everything. So we have full permission to ask as much as we want about the date, about the person. And we can also say, actually, don't tell me anything if we feel like we don't want to know anything. So we're very open about when we go on dates, who they're with, where we're going, how was it, what what did it bring? Because we find that sharing the experience brings so much back into our relationship like it brings this beautiful sexual it sounds weird but it brings this beautiful sexual energy a deeper connection a deeper trust and a deeper love if I'm really honest like after Luke goes on a date and comes home I'm just like oh my god I love you so much like it's just kind of like this really refreshing energy that comes back into our our relationship so What it looks like for us is that I think a lot of people think, oh, non-monogamy, like you must be out fucking people like every weekend. Absolutely not because we are very time poor. So, uh, yes, both of us are on some dating apps and, um, you know, sometimes we we swipe, sometimes we don't. It just depends on what's going on in in our life. We go on dates and depending on what's happening, who's at home and things like that. Um, yeah, sometimes we we have, you know, uh, experiences. And how, does, how does it go? How does it go on the date? Like you, you've you swiped on Tinder or whatever, you, you meet up with them and you're yeah. like, and they're like, oh, tell me about yourself. You're like, well, I'm married. You're like, oh, crap. Like, like no, no, it's totally cool. Like, how does yeah. that work? 
Well, it's in our t- it's in our bios on the dating app, so oh, okay. it's very clear, oh, so very right. very clear. Yeah, when we make sure that they yeah. know, they understand. And to be honest, again, like in Newcastle, a lot of people don't swipe on us because they probably don't want to go on a date with someone who's married, which is also okay. So yeah. that's that's yeah. great, and it also means that we can go and have experiences together. Like we. Um, went to an amazing like sex club in Sydney together. We actually have a podcast on that. If anyone's like, Oh my God, a sex club. Um, yeah. Go and listen. To that. Are there like parameters or, or like rules or like a kind of code of ethics where it's like, you know, you can do this, you can't do this, or you, you can't get too serious or ha- how does like, what's the rules, I guess of it. Yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah, we have like, we have, very little rules, but also, you know, like things like no one that we like, that's kind of like in our circle. Um, I don't really have any rules like in terms of what we can and can't do. That's really pretty open. Uh, we're pretty open with that kind of stuff. Mm, I mean, if, if things were starting to get a bit close with someone, then we'd have to talk about it and see what was happening with that again that we don't have a rule around it but we're all about communication so I think if things were to try to start getting serious then we'd have to have a conversation about okay well what what are we going to do now is this going to be a polyamorous situation other than that I mean we don't you know we don't date we don't obviously bring people back here when the kids are here and the kids aren't involved in our dating life at all uh yeah, we don't really have a lot of rules, to be honest, and we talk about everything. So if something came up and I was like, actually, that's not cool, or Luke was like, that's not cool, then we'd, we'd figure it out from there. And, and people would say, well, aren't you afraid of, like, like, Luke finding someone better? Like, if he's just out, you know, on Tinder, trying new people, new relationships, new, new things – like is people might be thinking is part of you just being like oh crap like what if there is someone cooler than me out there and he finds her or him or uh, like oh no like yeah what do you say to that he's not going to find anyone cooler than me i mean come on oh, okay. <laughs> yeah nice all right good confidence i like it <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm confident enough in, i'm confident confident enough in our relationship that right. we are like ridiculously in love I feel like we're still in our honeymoon phase. We've been together for three years. And also, you know, like if he did find someone and he fell in love with them, then that would be just what's meant to happen. So, you know, we we have an amazing time together. And we also didn't say in our vows anything about forever or until we die or anything like that. So we want to be together for as long as this is good and as long as it's expanding and as long as we're connected. So, yeah, I mean, look, there could come someone fabulous. So then the question becomes, I get, uh, I I suppose, and a few people in in the Instagram live have been curious about, why, like, what do your marriage vows look like? And then why marriage, I suppose? Like, why get married if marriage as a stereotypical definition is like it's locked together the ring is that symbol of eternity or whatever and it's together forever all the time why would you guys go oh yeah like together 
for an indeterminate amount of time until like you know if things work out and we're still in love with each other and then and then maybe not like is that yeah. still marriage then like I guess I guess start with what do your vows look like because you said there's no forever in it it's like yeah what does that look like at a wedding like that our vows were super cool I actually put them in the, in, in an Instagram post um okay cool yeah so they were all about um supporting each other through growth they're all about Hmm. expanding and um moving through life together and evolving they are all about loving and understanding and communicating uh and just sharing love and sharing life and being present and conscious for all of that and it was a beautiful like it was a beautiful ceremony we just eliminated the the death do us part and the forever because both of us have been divorced and we know that sometimes things aren't made to last and we'd also put a fuck ton of work into our relationship if it kind of hit hit a you know block like we would 100% be getting relationship coaching and we'd 100% be trying to move through that I guess coming back to like that woo-woo side of me is like well if if it didn't work out, then that's okay, and we know we'd be okay. And also, I fucking really want it to work, so let's just keep trying really hard and working together and challenging each other to be our best selves in this relationship. And as I said, we're like love each other so so much, and we wanted to get married again, and we wanted to do it our way, and we wanted to do it differently, and. We do, and it's amazing. So, yeah, it's it's interesting that with previous bad experience of marriage, that you go into marriage again, um, but almost it sounds like the the pattern I'm picking up is that you don't do things the conventional way. You've always kind of pushed the boundaries and limits. And is there is there that element of being like, well, people say marriage is this. Is it though? I think it can be also this and who are you to kind of tell me that it can't be? Absolutely. I think marriage and relationships and, you know, life can be whatever that we want it to be. It can be whatever that we desire it to be and we get to choose. And that's what I help people a lot lot on in their lives. It's like we actually get to choose just because – it's been done a certain way doesn't mean that I have to follow that way. If that doesn't feel right for me, then let's look at other paths. Let's look at other ways to do life. There's not just one way to do life. There's like an infinite number of ways to do life. So that's what I truly believe. So this is my way of doing life. And I know that that's not going to suit everyone. I know that it's not going to sit well with everyone and it sits well with me and the people that reach out to us and me all the time always thank me for showing them that they can do things another way and showing them that like they're like, oh, I'm actually not interested at all in being non-monogamous, but I love your outlook on you know, that things don't have to be the way we've been taught or told they have to be. So I'm really, really passionate about, well, let's let's look at 
what else can we do? You know, what else can we do if it doesn't mm-hmm. quite fit in with me? Yeah. Creating that space for people that don't fit in with the norm, that don't fit in with the normal conventions to go, you, you can find your space, you can belong and you can, you can kind of reshape life so that you feel as if you fit within it and belong in some mm-hmm. sense. Because if, if societal conventions has its way, you get pushed to the margins. They say, well, you don't belong because you're, you're, you're not fitting this, this kind of stereotype. And it doesn't sound like you're saying marriage would be better if it was non-monogamous. It sounds like you're saying marriage is better for me when it is in this area and has this element of non-monogamy within it. I yeah. want to, I want to kind of push, push the idea. And as you're talking about, like you found this sense of going, okay, well, this works for me and, and this is kind of right for me. People w- will hear that and particularly like religious people will hear that and go, well, all right, that's moral relativism. So if murdering someone is right for you, then would you do it? And that's like the hyper- hyperbolic uh, mm-hmm. portion of it that says, okay, it sounds like you're measuring what's right and wrong by your own subjective experience. H- how do you push back against that idea that says uh, – you can't just have this this own sense. Like, where where are the boundaries and the limits on this notion of what's right for me? Is is kind of the direction I'll go? Because you mentioned you had you had kids and you've obviously got your partner and you go okay. So there is this consideration of going well. We talk about everything and we're we're going to try and communicate. Mm. Where are the where are the limits and boundaries of it? Where you'd go well, I think it's right for me, but how is this impacting uh, Luke's kids or? or the people around us. And you've already said that where let's not do, let's not be intimate with people who are in our kind of circle. Cause that might make things a little bit difficult. Mm. Where are the limits to this idea that say, as you search for what's right for you, does that have an end or a limit? I mean, there's certain things that we shouldn't do because they're not okay. For example, murder, is mm-hmm. ha- is harming another human and i don't believe in harming other humans so mm-hmm. that for me is a absolute no and there's you know there's a few things i guess that are an absolute no for me i'm very passionate about you know like being open and accepting all humans so like anyone that speaks like in a homophobic way racism sexism all that kind of stuff for me is an absolute no because it's harmful to other humans and Mm -hmm. so yeah of course there's boundaries because if we lived in a boundaryless society then it wouldn't be great and we'd all be running around like absolute mm. chaotic people and, and we wouldn't be able to like exist. We wouldn't be able to expand and grow as humans because we'd all be like just doing all this silly, mm. silly shit. So I get that it can be triggering or it can push against religious morals and even just normal life morals. And I think that if you are listening and and it does challenge you, why is it 
Is it something inside of you that is triggered? Is it like, oh, I wish I had the freedom to do that? Is it like, absolutely no, but why? Is it based on your beliefs or is it based on the beliefs of someone else? Mm. And I think it's really important. Like I know that it's not for everyone. And I think it's really important to also tap into, well, why is it so infuriating for me to hear someone talk about being non-monogamous and being married? Because it's really important, like I said at the start of this recording, to open our minds to other ways of looking at things. And it's not always the way that Mm -hmm. we've been presented and it's not always the way that is modelled to us in normal life. So 100% there's boundaries Mm -hmm. and we, you know, we'll constantly talk, negotiate and renegotiate the boundaries and whilst being respectful to our loved ones and, you know, other every human that comes into our world or doesn't come into our world. And that's, I mean, I have a, yeah, deep respect for all humans. So I get it. I get that it's triggering and I get that maybe for some people it doesn't make sense. So, mm. yeah. I- I think I hear you drawing that boundary. I think it's almost the very stereotypical, quote-unquote, like liberal worldview that says my freedom stops up until it impacts your freedom and Mm. then that's where we negotiate. If my decision to do this begins to cause harm, then then I'm hearing you go, "Well, well, then that becomes not okay. So it's like – and I think that's a stereotypical – liberal position the classical position of of liberalism because there's lots of there's a bloody liberal party so there's lots of different (laughs) terms of like of liberal but i want to i kind of want to bring in this dimension to it and get your thoughts on it uh Mm -hmm. there's a book which i would i would recommend i've read it i i'm a slow reader but i've bloody read it uh there's a book called the righteous mind by jonathan Haidt, and he talks about he talks about um the differences between generally conservative people and liberal people and i think you've really outlined like that liberal idea and and i think i could probably box you roughly in the idea that says like if if we have consent and we are not harming anybody then roughly you know there's no real problem with it um and he he does these studies and talks about it and he goes um and he contrasts this worldview with the conservative worldview and a liberal worldview. So a liberal worldview has those two dimensions. I think it's the two. You'll have to read the book to, to get exactly what it is. But it's like, am I harming somebody else? And do I have like consent? And like, am I, am I okay with it? Um, and generally, that's how liberals formulate that. But then conservatives have like f- more, more. They have like five of them. And I probably can't name them all. But they have one that's like, uh, I think it's sanctity or like something that it's sacred. It's this unspeakable it's like it's more than that and he he analogy he gives the analogy like this he does a study and he goes to like a university where the people are mostly liberal and he he goes all right so if a man and uh, <laughs> warning graphic story but he's like if a man takes his hard-earned money goes to coles and woolworths buys a like a chicken and then goes home and has sex with that chicken is that morally okay and uh, the liberal position might be, Sindra, what would you say if that was a question posed to you? Oh. <laughs> I'm a vegan, so... 
oh, <laughs> so you're like, that chicken shouldn't be dead. <laughs> oh, I mean, gosh, you can buy like pretend vaginas if you want to stick your dick in something like, you know, you can. Let's, let's say, um, let's make it like an eggplant. <laughs> He's like, it's an eggplant. He's like, absolutely, yeah. go for it. Go, it's an eggplant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and I think that that would be the the liberal worldview where they okay. go, well, listen, chicken's already dead. Somebody else paid, like he's paid for it with his own money. He's not harming anybody else. He's just doing something weird with a dead chicken, and you know, whatever you do, you man. And I think that's right. But then he he outlines the conservative worldview or the stereotypically conservative one and he goes people people might be hearing that story if you're listening to the show and you're going yeah but no i still don't think i'm still not on board with it and it's really hard to articulate for for Mm -hmm. those people and i and i want to i want to kind of pull it out because i think it 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 can be too easily dismissed as going oh well if you don't have a valid logical reason then I mean, that's a bit silly, but I think there's a big portion of the population and listeners of the show that would be hearing that going, no, I still think there's something wrong with him doing that. I can't tell you why. It mm. just vibes me the wrong way. And I and Jonathan Haidt in this book proposes that it is it is this idea of sanctity. There's something sacred about sex or the life of an animal or something like that that can't be put into words that would fall under this like spiritual element now really poor book summary long analogy out of the way (laughs) what do you make of that idea that says Sindra like even if I'm not religious or I'm religious sex is this sacred almost spiritual thing it's like yes it's a um it's a biological thing that happens between two organisms, but it's also more than that. It's like on the, on the dimension of art and love. If you break down art and love into its scientific components, it's like, well, it's just these color numbers on a canvas. Mm. Not you've, you've immediately reduced. You're not describing art anymore. Mm. What do you say to those people that go, sex is kind of on that dimension. Mm. And, how, how do you respond to that idea that might push back and go, no, I think it's, it's too sacred to kind of be hooking up with lots of different people. It's, it's too special to do that mm. with. What, what, what do you make of that really long and long run up question? Well, A, why can't you create art with different people? Why do you just have to create it with one person? And like B, what what is to say that you can't have a sacred connection with more than one person or what's to say it needs to be a sacred connection what happens if you have a sacred connection in sex with your primary partner and you get to enjoy all of this fun connected but maybe not super spiritual or sacred uh sex and intimacy with other people i think you can have both you're saying it can it can be this sacred connection as well as the reduced physical pleasure aspect of it. What, what would you say? Like, what would you say to someone that's saying you might be, and you have been married before. So I guess that might be part of your answer that that might be saying, Cinder, I think you're giving up something really special by leaving it open because something that you might be able to grow something 
even more special within the confines and the box. But when you open it up, you limit your possibility to grow an even deeper relationship because you might always be on that level of like fear or going, is this the best option for me? Or, or am I still searching for fulfillment in, in somebody else? Whereas if you, someone might say, if you kind of shut that off, then you open up the possibility to go deeper with somebody because you are fully committed, I guess. I think that Luke and I definitely have the best, most pleasurable, most connected, most, you know, sacred intimacy um, that I've ever had in my life. And our relationship is challenging as fuck, but also it's, it's the most connected. It's the most honest. It's the most interdependent relationship that I've ever had. So for me, that doesn't, that doesn't question whether we were open, whether we were not open. Uh, I personally think that our open relationship, our experiences with others, that energy coming back into our relationship only makes it better for us. It only makes us stronger. It only makes us more honest, more able to have the fucking hard conversations. I mean, you can imagine like the difficult conversations that we've had. Like I've had to listen to him telling me details about, um, you know, sleeping with someone else. So if we can talk about that, Mm -hmm. then we can literally talk about anything like, Things that can't come up in so our So how do you journey through that? <laughs> like he comes home and he's like, oh, Sidra, she was so hot. Like, you, uh, I got to tell you about this. Like, had, like talk me through because I would be like, what? <laughs> Hotter than me? What the hell? <laughs> I, like, I am all for Luke being with hot. I'm like, yeah. Like, I want, you to, I want you to be with hot people. Like, I want you to experience. So you like, happy for him. You're like, oh, bloody good on you, mate. Like, high five. Like, good, look, champion. We have high-fived. Um, absolutely. Uh, and he's high-fived other people. Um, look, hearing the details sometimes and knowing what has happened. Yeah. I would be lying if I said, oh, it's just super easy. I'm just like, ah, whatever, babe. That's so great. Good on you. Like, that's not real life. Yeah. So moving through that is like, it can be a little bit challenging. It's not so much now. It was kind of the first few times. And what was that main challenge? Was it like the, like you feeling like you could be replaced or inadequate or like you're not fulfilling or something? Yeah, all the things, all the insecurities that come up, you know, all, all the normal, all the normal jealousy things, all of the normal, yeah. am I enough? Like, am I that good in bed? Like, yeah. you know, all of that, <laughs> of course, like, of course it comes up. It's not, yeah. you know, like, that would be so weird if I, if it didn't come up. It would mean that I wouldn't, wouldn't even care. And I do care. Uh, and after all that's processed, the intimate connection that we have is ridiculous like ridiculously powerful and very very hot and very very worth it (laughs) Mm -hmm. so it it only adds to our relationship people people listening might be thinking is it like could it could it be likened to and i guess like time will tell but you've been together for three years um could it be likened to a 
like a, a, a roller coaster or like bungee jumping where you're like, I really do not want to jump off this 200 foot cliff, <laughs> but boy, afterwards, I'm going to be so stoked. Like, are you hooking your relationship up to the Nevis bungee in New Zealand being like, here we go again, like a, some level of like relationship adrenaline junkie or, or is it more than that? I think it's more than that because the connections that we get to have with other people are also really cool and that brings a lot into our relationship as well and hopefully into their their future relationships into their self as well and and like yeah but what relationship isn't a fucking roller coaster like you know mm-hmm. you're you're dealing with people's lives people's emotions you're dealing with life challenges you're dealing with ups and downs like life is a roller coaster anyway like life life has these peaks and troughs and your relationship is like really amazing and the next minute something happens and you're going through the shit and it's up and down anyway so I think it's it's to be honest like it's probably no more up and down than other people's relationships because when the hard shit does happen we can communicate about it and probably can maybe move through it pretty quick Mm -hmm. because we have had those conversations Mm -hmm. now. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely challenging and I would be lying if I said, ah, it's just so easy. And I think for us, it's totally worth it. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good way of, uh, of, of putting it. Uh, Is there anything, is there anything that you would want to, add or sum up with or kind of describe like that what you're describing I'm not getting the sense like as I speak to you that you're necessarily evangelizing this type of relationship it sounds like from your journey you're saying this is what I've done this is where my journey's led me and this is the type of relationship I have now because you know I could I could put to you you like I I I was like doing a bit of research and I was like going in but let's face it, I'm not a, I'm not a researcher I'm just here to talk to people <laughs> and and that, you know, some people could say, and I'm not sure because I haven't done the research, but they could say, listen, like multiple or like multiple relationships and sexual relationships and partners can lead to higher anxiety and all of those types of things for the average population. Um, but it sounds like you're not evangelizing this, this way of being. You're kind of just sharing your journey, what's working for you, how it helps you. And it sounds like as you look at this, do you think that anybody could or should do this or do you think that you are just a representative of a portion of the population that just interact differently with people? I would love, if, if nothing else, I would love for this conversation for people just to consider their relationships their own and that they are allowed to look at things differently and they have permission to maybe try a few different things or to to look at a different way of doing things. I think like if we're going primal, if we're looking at like our primal instincts, I don't think that we're maybe built to be monogamous. And I'm also open to people wanting to choose that and, and wanting to wanting to pursue that. And it's a choice. Like we get to choose how we want to do relationships. So if there's one thing that I want people to take away, it's like I get to choose. I mean, obviously don't go and like fuck someone else and not tell your partner. Like I'm not saying that, but 
I get to choose and I get to choose the way I do things. Maybe I can choose to be more interdependent. Maybe I can choose to try something new with my partner or separate to my partner. Maybe I can choose to, maybe I can choose to have a conversation that really opens our perspectives a little bit. I don't think, I don't, I'm not like everyone should be non-monogamous. I think that it's everyone's journey. It's everyone's journey and that we all have a choice. Mm. Pulling out the the non-controversial, because at the top you hear non-monogamous and you instantly lose the entirety of a religious worldview audience. They're gone. They're gone. <laughs> they're like, no, nah, can't be. But they're not gone because they're on Ideas Digest and they're here to learn and understand. But <laughs> you, you, that's where that's where people think, ah, oh, like there's there's everything Sindra's saying is controversial. But I think there's these elements that no matter where anyone sits, there's these non-controversial ideas. And that's what you're talking about is like, let's consider each other. Let's communicate. Let's, let's be try and create a space within a relationship where we can be wholly ourselves. I can be wholly myself. You can be wholly yourself. How yeah. can I um, operate in a relationship to allow you to flourish as much as possible and you, me? And yeah. how can we consider that, grow together and really value each other? And I think that's not, that's not controversial. It's not, um, I think anybody religious or not would would agree with that idea so i think i think that's something that everyone can get around um so is there anything else that you think is at the core of how you're because your metric of success it doesn't sound like your metric of success like people would say if you're married a long time that's a successful marriage whereas it sounds like how would you how would you measure success in your relationship then? I definitely don't measure success in the, the amount of time that you've been together because I know many couples that have been together for a long time that probably need to reconsider that. Uh, I think success is – let me think about this. I think success is being able to ex- – I say this a lot and I've said it a lot in the podcast, but being able to expand and grow both individually and together and, you know, working towards a joyful life. That means that you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have conflict, but being able to expand and grow and learn through that conflict and to have a joyful life, both, together and separately that to me is mm-hmm. that to me is the the mark because if you're not having fun if you're not having joy if you're not experiencing pleasure then then what what's the point of the 20 years that you've been together if if you're miserable that's not a successful relationship to me and when you think of the alternative like someone might say well, what's the point they might say well to serve somebody else to like to be selfless that would be that would be the idea. How do you how would you how do you navigate that? That's like they might be saying, "Oh, Sindra, but you're only like thinking of yourself if you're happy." But you know, are you? Do you live for to make other people happy? I live for me because at the end of the day, all I have is me. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, all I have is me. It my mind, my body. That's all I have. That's all I can control. That's all I can experience is myself. And if I'm not happy, 
then what the fuck is the point of continuing my life if I am miserable in a relationship and I'm just staying for someone else's happiness or safety or whatever that may be? That to me, there's no point in that. What, what is interesting is this very challenging uh, thought and idea for people to sit with and digest is that you have, you've created this relationship that values, yes, your happiness and your growth and your development, but you've entered, it's like the same contract exists currently for your partner that says, if you are not happy in this, do not stay for me. I'm here to like be like help grow you and if the best growth of you as well and me is in alignment then obviously our relationship's going in the same direction but if all of a sudden if i'm like that's a very challenging idea it's like that every like all those love songs we talk about if you love me you'll let me go and i guess in that in that sense that's kind of like a bit about what you're you're saying is that there is within this relationship the contract that says listen if you're really struggling uh you are you can go and and that and I and you would almost want that rather than staying out of fear or something like that. That 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 kind of is quite a challenging thing in for anyone in a relationship to think about when you go. Well, if your wife's not happy, like, do you really want her to stay? Like, do you really? Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and that comes back to the interdependency thing. Is like, I don't own. I don't own my partner. I don't, I don't own his decisions. I don't own his choices. I don't own his feelings. Of course, I'm not saying that I don't like sometimes slip back into the codependent patterns and I love him and I support him and I value him and I respect him so much. And of course we help each other through difficult times and, um, you know, all of that stuff as well. And if he was unhappy with our relationship, then I would 100% want him to tell me that and I would 100% want to ask him what he wanted to do. And I I wouldn't be okay. I'd be devastated, but I would also be okay. I'd be okay with whatever that that decision was because at at the end of the day, I want him to be happy and I want him to be satisfied and I I don't want him to I don't want to hold him back from growing so I would be very very fucking shattered <laughs> yeah 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 I I think it I think people would dismiss your worldview too quickly if they reduced it to you're just doing it for as long as you feel happy and then discard it's all like con, like a consumption of your happiness I'm just going to be happy and stuff everyone else I yeah, think absolutely I think there is that element of, of being like you are in a, like this level of love relationship that considers other people Sindra thank you so much for taking so much time to like <laughs> explain talk through be open honest vulnerable um if there's anything you want to add where can people like learn more about your stuff catch up with your ideas if they're if they're curious about what you're doing what where can they reach you uh, so at Conscious Couples Coaching on Instagram or at Syndra Banks is my own Instagram and both of those platforms I put a ton of content on. Our podcast is called The Relationships Show. If you're interested in listening to more about these kind of relationships and we talk about all kinds of stuff on there, pleasure, sex, communication, 
uh, all of the things if people want to know more. That's probably the best best places to head. Um, and there's links in, in both of our bios to, yeah, work with us or find out more about how to work with us and stuff like that. So, yeah, and, you know, come and say hi. And I'm so open to answering any questions that anyone else has. Like, just DM me. Like, I am... I'm, I live for questions about this kind of stuff and people need support and things like that. Like I'm here for it. So yeah, definitely let us know. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on and this conversation has been amazing. So thank you as well. Yeah, it's been so great to have you. We've had a lot of ideas to definitely sit with and digest. Whether you're listening to this and whether you agree or disagree, not really the point, who really cares? Hopefully you've been able to see a new perspective, see how someone else navigates well. Hopefully you've been able to understand Syndra, her journey and, and how she got to where she is. I've definitely missed a lot of questions. Like Syndra said, you can ask her questions directly if you want to reach out to her. And for my own craft, if I've missed a question, what do you wish I had have asked? Comment it on the Instagram posts as they fire up. You can reach us at Ideas Digest. Shoot us an email, ideasdigest at gmail.com. If you have any show suggestions, guest suggestions, topic suggestions, and... Until then, I will catch you in the next episode.